Well, what is, what's today's date? Someone tell me today's date. February 23rd, right? How many weeks are we past the, the new year? Like seven, eight weeks? Who here is still keeping their New Year's resolutions? 54 days, wow. Oh, did you just make that up? Who's here still keeping? Oh, you do math on the spot. He does math on the spot. See, I just started this, like, uh, I started this uh, MBA program. And I'm, like, I'm, like, drowning in statistics right now because math is not my thing. So if anybody is, like, an expert in statistics, math, please come see me afterwards. But other than that, uh, yeah, it's 54 days, apparently, past New Year's. And I wonder, like, who's still keeping their New Year's resolutions? Anyone? I probably shouldn't ask for responses. So we'll just pretend you all are, because I don't want to, like, that's going to guilt the people who don't raise their hands, right? So you can, that's true, that's true. Um, well, I used to make a lot of New Year's resolutions, and uh, back in the day, I made some, I remember making some pretty ambitious New Year's resolutions. Like, mine was like, you know, run a marathon, climb a 14er, you know, all these like big things. And now, now like, now that it's like life, reality, I'm like, my resolution for New Year's like, call the dentist, schedule an appointment. Like, that's a big accomplishment right there. Like, clean my house. Like, that would be a win. Like, that would be a win for the year. And, and like, cook at home. Like, those are three big wins. Like, call the dentist, clean my house, cook at home. And <laughs> my lofty goals in the past have just kind of like slipped away. And now that we're like in the dog days of winter, it's just like, boy, if, if I could just like, you know, call the dentist, that would be a, that'd be a first step. That would be a first step. And um, I, was, so I, was, I was looking into some of the, the, the New Year's goals that people make, New Year's resolutions. And I guess, the, you know, the easiest goals that people most likely keep are goals of personal development, kind of personal growth goals. And the hardest, you can probably guess it, have to do with like, you know, eating healthy, changing your diet, those kind of things. And uh, I guess the statistics for how long people stick to it, 36% of people stick to it for a month. 81% of people stick to it for six months or less. 80, uh, 88% of people are able to make it almost a year. And 11% of people are able to keep their New Year's resolutions permanently. And uh, something interesting I found is Colorado is actually the fourth worst state for people keeping their New Year's resolutions, believe it or not. Uh, the top five, and, and Tom was saying it's probably because they have nothing better to do, is Iowa, Maryland, South Dakota, Alaska, and Minnesota. So like these cold climates where it's just like, you're, what are you going to do? Like, oh, I'm keeping my resolution, I guess. So I, the point of what I'm trying to say is, like, life has a way of wearing us down, right? And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was looking for inspiration, trying to figure out what am I going to talk about. And I came across this movie called Blinded by the Light. And it's a true story about the words, uh, inspired by a true story and the words of music of Bruce, Bruce, Stings, Bruce Springsteen. But it's this comedy drama film set in Britain, and uh, about this journalist, the life of this journalist, and I'm going to try to say his name, Sarfraz Manzur. So the movie is, it's set in 1987, 
in the town of Luton, England, and I'm probably not saying that right, uh, and this young man, Javed Khan, and it kind of describes his life experiencing economic, racial, and, and social turmoil during that time. And so Javed is a, is, a, is a teenager, and he writes poetry kind of as a way of kind of dealing with these different things he's experiencing. You know, the, the, the racism in his hometown of Luton, England, and, and the, you know, the traditional stubbornness of his father. So it's in his, the movie kind of starts out in his final year of sixth form school. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with that term, but I, I guess it's like the last year of school before you go to college or university or whatever. So he's in his last year of sixth form school, and he, he gets into this writing class, and he meets his teacher, Miss Clay. And Miss Clay is kind of encouraging her students to, to really hone their writing skills and, and, and speak not just for the sake of passing their tests, but really to speak some truth to the world. And she says that writers tell the world something it needs to hear. So, you know, spring, uh, Javid is still trying to figure out things for himself, and a classmate introduces him to the music of Bruce Springsteen. And Javed immediately sees parallels between Springsteen's uh, powerful lyrics and his own, Javed's own, working class environment in England. So Javed, or Springsteen's lyrics soon inspire Javed to find his own voice and to follow his dreams. But like any classic story, you know, there's got to be some conflict, some tension, some things that get in the way. And for, so for, for Javed, it's, you know, his dad is laid off as a result of economic turmoil and Thatcherism in, in England. Uh, his family, of course, being Pakistani immigrants, face a lot of racism and intolerance due to their immigrant status. And then, you know, Javed still, he struggles to find a way to balance um, becoming his own person while still balancing his family traditions and practices. But through it all, you know, Javed, he succeeds. He gets the cute girl. Uh, he, he wins an internship at a local paper. And then he even wins a prestigious award from Monmouth College, I think I'm saying that right, in New Jersey. And why that's a big deal is, do you know who else is from New Jersey? The boss, yeah, Springsteen's from New Jersey. So he goes to this, he gets to go to visit New Jersey for the college thing, and he goes and sees Asbury Park, New Jersey, where Bruce grew up and came to fame. But despite all this external success, uh, Javid is kind of hiding it all from his family, or more specifically his father, who, who does not really approve. And, you know, his dad, Malik, wants him to find something more economically sustainable, more financially sustainable, more so than a writing career. And he also wants uh, Javed to stay true to his pa Pakistani traditional values. And, you know, you can imagine Malik, the father, wonders, like, what does this white American, Bruce Springsteen, have, have anything to do in common with poor immigrant uh, family on the other side of the ocean? But Javed counters that Springsteen's own kind of life and circumstances in blue-collar uh, New Jersey ring true for millions of people across the world, including him and his family. You know, because Bruce sings about working class, family life, family strife, disappointments, all that stuff. But what's important for Javed, though, is that Bruce ultimately sings about not letting the hardness of the world let the best of you slip away. And, uh, and really, this is what makes Bruce Springsteen's music iconic. I don't know if there's any fans in here at The Boss. Um, but, you know, Bruce Springsteen sings about, you know, having faith in yourself 
in those you love, and, and going after the things that you're, you want most. These are, these are universal struggles, struggles we can all relate to, uh, even 30 years later after these songs were, were first sung. I mean, we've all probably felt at some point in our lives uh, the pressures of money, intolerance, bullying, you know, something like this working against us as we cry, try to create a better life for ourselves and the ones we love. You know, we've likely felt the weight of carrying not only the hopes and dreams of, our, of ourselves, but also of our families. And we can understand how hard it is, no matter how passionate or determined or visionary we once were, to let the hardness of the world kind of snuff the best out of us. You know, whether, whether it's just, you know, the, the nitty-gritty of daily life, trying to make ends meet, whether it's dealing with prejudice and intolerance, maybe it's tragedy, and maybe it's just a family of origin. We've got a lot of complications in our, in our family. It's easy to see our once bright and passionate selves kind of blurred out and ground down by all these challenges in life. I think this is what has made Bruce Springsteen's music, I'm struggling with that, uh, have such wide acclaim. Because he speaks to these deep down values and struggles we all face. In one way or another, how to not let the hardness of the world let the best of us slip away. And while the boss is, you know, the boss, I want to talk about another everyman, so to speak, this morning, Jesus if we can go there. Um, so this is the last week in our series we've been calling It's Better Up Here, and we've been looking at Jesus' most famous teaching, probably, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's in this lengthy section that Jesus basically describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus, kind of what it means to be a Christian. And while following the way of Jesus is often seen as, you know, talked about in like death and sacrifice in kind of these bummer ways, I believe that following the way of Jesus is, leads to the ultimate life and purpose. So it's not just about bummer. It's about uh, good things for us. And uh, so I, I think it's fair to say it's it, following the way of Jesus on the Sermon Mount, you know, it's, it's, it's better up here is what I'm trying to say. So today I want to talk about a section of, of this teaching in the Sermon Mount um, where Jesus tells his listeners to not lose their saltiness, or to let their light be hidden. So, uh, I have the words on the screen. Uh, you're welcome to follow along there. I'm going to read them from the text, but in Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to begin, uh, starting in verse 13. So, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. If a salt loses its saltiness, how will it be salty again. It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. Jesus goes on, you are the light of the world. A light, a city on top of a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a, a bushel or a basket. Do you remember singing that song, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine? That's where this comes from. We're talking about you know, Nels was talking about last week about uh, Zacchaeus. No, not Zacchaeus. That's another song. 
building your house upon the rock and the sand. This is another children's song perhaps you sing in church. You know, hide in a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So no one puts it under a bushel or a basket, but they put it on a lampstand so it lights up the whole house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that it may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if you remember back in the the first week of the series, I was talking about blessed, being blessed, where Jesus gives the beatitude, you know, blessed are these, blessed are they, blessed are these people, the meek, uh, the poor, the mourning. So in that time, I was explaining that Jesus wasn't telling people how to be blessed. He wasn't telling you what you need to do to be blessed. He was saying, this is, this is who you are. You are blessed. So in the same way here, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's saying, you are salt, you are light. This is it's, you know, it's not something that needs to happen. It's something you already are. You are salt, you are light. And, you know, if you've gone to church, if you sang the song, Hide Under a Bushel, no. If you sang any of those songs and you've been in church for any length of time, you probably heard about the ancient uses of salt from taste to preservation to purification, kind of like Nellis mentioned last week. And we can all kind of imagine in a, in a time and place without electricity that a lamp or light would be pretty useful in the dark. So either way, whether, you know, we've done a study on the ancient uses of salt or we just like salt on our french fries, and come on, can I get an amen? Um, we know that salt matters, as does light. It's important, it's distinct, and it adds value to our life. So, so when Jesus is telling people to be salt, to be light, he's telling people to be distinct, decked with purpose, to make a difference in their world. And, and while it sounds easy for us today, uh, it wasn't really so simple back in that time that Jesus spoke. And I think what's interesting too is, uh, you know, Jesus lived in a time where his country, his people were inhabited or really occupied by the Roman Empire, the Roman army. But what's interesting is... Um, the argument could be made that when the author Matthew started kind of writing all these stories down, putting pen to paper, that during that time period, some years later, that was actually a worse time to exist than even when Jesus first spoke these words. So what I'm getting at is a lot of scholars think that uh, Matthew started compiling all these words, starting putting pen to paper around the year 70 A.D., now, that date is significant because just a few years prior, some Jews had led a revolt against the Roman occupiers, and the Romans had won and kind of exacted a heavy price on the entire city of Jerusalem, so much so that thousands of people were killed, um, were scattered, or were sold into slavery, and the temple, which was the, you know, the religious center it was the center of their religious life, their political life, their cultural life. They had destroyed it completely, leaving uh, only the, the Western Wall, which is still in existence today. So it's into this context that scholars think was the context, what was happening in the world when Matthew was writing down this story, writing down this Sermon on the Mount as we know it today. And think about that in that context in all that chaos happening, Matthew writes these words down to be salt and to be light. I mean, these are people that are picking up the pieces of their lives 
Because life as they know it would have been destroyed, would have been wiped away by the Romans. And like I said, they're left kind of picking up the pieces. And so many of these survivors were probably asking themselves this question, like, should we just keep our mouths shut and not do anything to upset anybody? Should we keep trying to be true to the words of Jesus, what, that even though the, the words of Jesus were not responsible for that last revolt that they kind of had lived through, but, I mean, the words of Jesus were rebellious or inflammatory in some ways in their own right. And at their core, these people were asking themselves likely, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Can we simply compromise, you know, some things can we, can we collaborate with the Romans over here? Can we just do what's necessary to survive? And this is, this is why I think it's so interesting that Matthew uh, made sure that this story was in his book, in his gospel as it's called, because he wanted people to know the importance of being salt and being light and not hiding your light. Matthew wanted the people to understand how powerfully and prophetically these words of Jesus spoke to their current time and place, to not let the hardness of the world, let the best of them, slip away. Now, thankfully, you know, we don't have to quite deal with what happened in ancient Jerusalem. There's no threat of Romans coming and destroying our cities we don't have quite that level of cultural upheaval. We could, we could probably even say like things aren't as bad as they were in 1980s England. But even though, you know, we could say we're not as, we're not as bad off as ancient Jerusalem or even 1980s England, like we have our own stuff to deal with right now, right? Beyond even what's going on in our, in our, own, in our own personal lives or our family's life or the life of our friends. We've got this We've got all this stuff kind of going on in our culture right now with the upcoming elections, coronavirus stuff, and the whole, like, like reclining seats in an airplane. Is that okay or not? I mean, and I'll, I'll just give an aside. Like, if someone, like, reclines in your seat, like, it stinks, but, you know, don't, don't be a jerk. Like, just don't punch it. Like, I think I'm just going to stay my... I'm going to stay my opinion right there, say, do not punch the seat in front of you. So, so whether it's, you know, the stuff going on in our world, whether it's stuff in your own life, the life of people close to you, like, it's still a lot to deal with. And, you know, a lot of this can be, it seems like at times, attributed a lot of this kind of uh, anxiety and, and drama can be, especially with this reclining seat thing, can be attributed to social media, Right? But, it, I mean, it, to, in a certain sense, like, it is easy uh, to see and to feel all this anxiety and, and uh, uncertainty in, our, in the world around us over the, the direction, the future of our lives and our lives of our country. And it's easy to just kind of get overwhelmed by it all, you know, to slip into the shadows, to say, like, Standing out is not worth it. Like, it's, it's not worth, like, sticking my neck out and standing up for something I believe in. 
I mean, we can all think back to a couple weeks ago, there was, when the whole impeachment thing was happening, like, there were some people for however we feel about that, like, they stuck their necks out, and, you know, they faced some, some blowback, we can say. And however, whether it's that, whether it's something else, you know, my point is that with all this turmoil, all this disagreement, all this unsettling, like, it's, it'd be really easy, and it is easy to kind of just throw up our hands and be like, you know, whatever. I tried. It's not worth it. To let the hardness of the world blur out our brightness. But let me tell you, now more than ever, we need salty people. We need people who are not afraid to let their light shine. In the movie, Javed's teacher, Miss Clay, it was her job to encourage her students and encourage Javed to make their voice heard. I kind of see myself in that same role, to be honest. To encourage you to let your light shine, to make your voice heard, to be salty people and to be distinct. I want you to know that you have a voice that the world needs to hear. I believe that we're in a time and a place where we need leaders. We need people who will be true to what they believe. People who won't give up easily. People who will act with conviction, with principle, with passion. Say, this is what I believe. I'm going to let my light shine. Because after all, you are salt. You are light. Your voice matters. Don't let the hardness of the world let the best of you slip away. And while we're all not going to become world-famous musicians like Bruce Springsteen, we're not going to become, you know, have a movie made made out of our lives, there's all things that we can do that will make a big difference down the road. In the movie, Javed had a neighbor who encouraged him to pursue his writing and spoke out against the nationalism, white nationalism in this community. Javed had a friend who stood up for him against the bullying. And of course, Javed had the teacher who encouraged him to find his own voice. Like, whatever your role is, whatever your opportunity, what you do or can do matters. It's important. Don't downplay, don't diminish, don't discount what you can do. It matters. It's important. Your light matters. Your voice matters. Be salty. You have an identity as a child of God and a purpose given to you by God to be salt and to be light. To be distinct, to be different, to bring light and goodness to our world. So don't let the hardness of the world bring you down. Don't let the hardness of the world blur the brightness within you. Don't let the hardness of the world dull the saltiness of you. I mean, you don't want to wake up in five years, in ten years, in in a year, whatever, in a period of time, be like, boy, what happened? 
What happened to those years of my life? What happened with what I believed and what I wanted to do? What I, what I, what I, what I wanted to become? You don't want to wake up and be like, man, I've, I've just let people walk over me. For how many, for how long? I mean, remember what Jesus said. If, a salt, if, if salt loses its saltiness, it's, it's good for nothing. You just have to be thrown underfoot and people walk all over it. I mean, who wants that? I mean, we don't want to wake up one day and be like, what's happened to our world? Like, we can do something about it. We are light. We are salt. We can do something about it. You can do something about it. Whether it's first century Palestine, whether it's 1980s England, whether it's 21st century America, we need people who will do the right thing even when the stakes are high. And they're high right now. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen.